Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Why don't we get, why don't we get recording cool. and let's get this thing going. So, hi. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, how do you, is your, is your, your You've got Paulson up there. Is that your last name? Or you go by Heidi Roberts? Or what is that? What is it? What is it? My last name is Paulson. Paulson. Heidi Paulson. Heidi Paulson. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on. You know, <laughs> your, your, your husband communicates. You guys have a very interesting story that would be interesting for us to, to kind of talk about. I think it's pretty cool. So, um, Zach, what do we, what do you, <laughs> I was just listening to our, 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 some of our other podcasts, just checking them out. So I was just having a good time listening to that while I was waiting. But, um, anyway, Heidi, you are, you are in Kansas city bound for Utah. You've got good internet connection. So let's, let's got Google fiber. So yeah, yeah let's tell us a little <laughs> bit about your background and then we can get into, you know, just kind of figure out what kind of questions naturally evolve from that. Okay. I, I'm glad that you're going to ask me some questions. I am a little deer in the headlights with this. Uh, my husband just read me the email he sent last night about 1130. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm either going to give him a high five when he gets back here or I'm going to punch him in the nose. <laughs> but um, my uh, background, uh, I was born and raised on a, uh, in rural Utah, um, actually right in the middle of the uh, Uenta and Ore Indian Reservation um, and uh, raised on a cattle ranch there. A maternal side of my family is Native American. Um, so uh, just really grew up um, surrounded by uh, just lots of uh, wilderness and uh, agriculture. So uh, they clear land there of um, just a lot of trees and brush in order to have some wild grass fields kind of spotted here and there. Um, I went to, went to college, got a degree in, um, biology, ended up, uh, focusing on wildlife biology towards the end, but my mentor was a microbiologist and a geneticist. Um, so I think, uh, my schooling, well, honestly, uh, both the way that I was raised and my schooling kind of maybe planted the seeds for me to be able to question some of the stuff that is just thrown out at you like truth. Um, uh, so I, and I, I worked as a wildlife biologist for several years, um, got into a car accident in 2011 that kind of brought all that to a halt. Uh, and it's really my experience with this diet that um, may change that. I may actually be able to get back out in the field. Um, I just had a lot of uh, physical injuries. Specifically, what stopped me from going back to work was a, a broken ankle um, that I, I couldn't get out and 
uh, walk really not very far. So it constantly hurt. Um, and then we moved to Kansas City in 2013. I had two children. I have a, a son who just turned two and a three-year-old little girl. And um, we are getting ready to move back to Utah as, as, I, as I sit here. <laughs> so uh, I'm an avid gardener. So um, love, love my gardening, love the vegetables. Um, and I am also, I would consider myself uh, a yogi. So I've done tons of training, about 2,000 hours. Um, and carniv carnivory and yogi yoga and gardening <laughs> do not go well together. <laughs> so uh, it's, I've had to take on a ton of fixed beliefs, uh, even in order to consider this at all. And I think it was just sort of a series of events that led me to thinking I could try it. And it's been almost nine months and I, here I am. What, you know, oh. you said you grew up, your, your, your background, you know, with your you know, part of your family was raised with cattle and you've been in the wilderness. Does that, did you think that helped you, you know, understand more about uh, being able to accept the diet that, that animals play a part in human nutrition? Do you think there's an advantage to that? And, you know, cause there's a lot of people, a lot of kids these days, I mean, they, they live in the city, they live in an apartment, they've never been outside, they may, they may have a pet, they may, may have gone to the zoo, but beyond that, they don't really understand how, you know, we kind of interact with nature. Do, do you think your background kind of made the transition a little easier for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I don't just walk into a grocery store and see a package of meat sitting there and have really no concept of where it came from. Or my relationship, I, I suppose, with cattle is not like a, a cartoon cattle, you know, a cartoon cow or even a cow in a petting zoo. Um, you know, so absolutely, I, I, I already knew where the meat came from. Um, and I do think that that's, that's really important because I, I, I have a hard time. Um, I couldn't argue with anyone going vegetarian based solely on you know, the idea of, of killing something and not wanting to kill something, but having been raised that way. Um, yeah, absolutely. It, it made it a lot easier and seeing the health benefits, I think of, of family who have eaten that way compared to what I see just walking around, you know, the city, I, I, there's a difference. There's a difference. And people argue that it's, well, it's being out in the sunshine and being very physical and working all the time, but they just don't have the, the physical ailments that the people that are, are, are eating from their ranches. Yeah. Heidi, you know, one of the reasons I was interested in having you on the show is, uh, you know, your background in wildlife biology. And it's, it's a topic that's come up a few times on our show too, about how just like, uh, we've seemed to kind of find all the species appropriate diets for all the animals on the planet that we care to pay attention to. Uh, but for whatever reason, humans seem to be the ones where it's like, we can't really come to this agreement as to what is the best diet, or even if there is a specific human appropriate diet. Um, so I guess like my question with that is like, was that like an influencer for you as well? Wildlife biology actually focuses a lot on the ecosystem uh, or on populations of animals. And you do deal a lot with what they eat. And uh, from a human perspective, I don't think that there's any way to deny that we are, uh, you know, a, 
a keystone predator, someone who is really on the top of the food chain. Um, and so our diet and how we evolved is definitely going to reflect that. Um, there's the idea of obligate carnivores who really can only eat meat and then facultative carnivores uh, who can eat everything. And I honestly, at this point right now, I don't know um, if we, if the research was to really be done, if we would, if we wouldn't be considered more of a facultative carnivore where what we thrive on is uh, all animal product and yet we can eat other things um, to prevent starvation and stuff. But, it, you know, is that what our body really thrives on? I, I don't know. I apologize too. I am years out of schooling and it's been about <laughs> eight years since I've been working, but um, that is my opinion on, on that question. Um, Sure. And I mean, we see eye to eye, I think, on that. And I, uh, I don't mean to put you on the spot and, and reach back <laughs> into something you don't feel comfortable uh, answering with expertise. And I, th I mean, I think it's just, you know, it's something that I think about. I don't necessarily claim that I know everything or that I'm going to be the one person who has this perfect right way of doing things either. But I think they're, they're just interesting questions to ask, because I think a lot of times when we get into this debate about nutrition and things like that, we find that there's a lot of ideologies and a lot of other influencing factors that come into play outside of just the, the pure biology or pure science behind some of it. And, uh, you know, I think, I think it's one of the reasons why people tune into this podcast too, because I mean, especially, especially Sean, he's uh, essentially went completely the opposite from what some of the mainstream stuff would, would promote. And that oftentimes catches attention. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, now that I've been doing this, I'm, I'm looking at things that are supposed to be so nutritious and yet they cause all of this gas and bloating and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's, that's so taxing on the body. If I was looking at, at some, if, if anyone actually was looking at some kind of animal and you were trying to get this animal to thrive and you were giving them food that was making them gas and bloaty and it wasn't being very well absorbed in the system and you were seeing it in people matter, uh, you would think this is the wrong kind of food to be giving this animal. But for us, for some reason, that's supposed to be healthy. And, mm -hmm. and honestly, that really, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, you know, it seems like we've almost tried to overcomplicate it to a degree where uh, you, you look to kind of put band-aids on little signals like that, that your body are showing you uh, that, you know, things aren't working well, like if your digestion's off, or if you're gassy and bloaty all the time, that's, that's kind of your body telling you you're doing something, something wrong. So, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, it's, 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 healthy. it's, you need to go to the drugstore and go to the GI aisle and pick up a bunch of pills. To help mm -hmm. you. Or, or you need a, a 30 day <laughs> cleanse or something like that. And all these, like, you know, just another way to maybe market something. It always seems like that's always the first thing that gets, gets reached towards in terms of just rather than just kind of going back to the fundamentals more or less or, or clearing the slate, which I think uh, at, at the very least, the carnivore diet is good for that. It's a, uh, it's a great way to kind of clear the slate. And, you know, we've had, uh, uh, we just actually interviewed um, Dr. Jofia Clemens from the paleo medicina group. And we had had, uh, um, we had Saba tooth on earlier too, on one of our earlier episodes. And, you know, they're, they're basing all their stuff around uh, uh, a carnivore diet. And, you know, they'll include the nose to tail stuff and they actually don't allow dairy in their protocol either, but they see just a whole host of things getting cleared up with that. And, um, 
even to the point where uh, I think if I remember right, Jofia said that when they have someone come in who's got like a leaky gut setup, uh, you know, they put them on a strict carnivore diet, animal-based diet. And, uh, you know, sometimes that starts to clear up within a few days. And if they're not quite as strict, sometimes it can take a little longer, but uh, you know, it, it, there's some healing properties happening and I think it's getting harder and harder to deny that. And uh, one thing we look at too with this show is like, it, just how much easier nowadays it is to have access to some of this information, just because essentially we have everything that was ever taught and learned documented on, on the internet now. So you can look at that in a positive way or a negative way. And it certainly has its, its strengths and weaknesses. But one of the strengths is that, you know, you have access to these groups uh, that are of people who are documenting things about what they're doing with the nutrition and you can kind of see what's working and what's not in in situations similar to yours and stuff so uh yeah what was is that something that you used a lot when you kind of went on your your journey as well was just this more readily accessible information well i think that in looking back i first started um questioning all of this nutrition stuff um in 2011 i read the gary tobbs book why we get fat um and I remember just being like, absolutely, <laughs> like, I mean, I was so angry, um, yet it was so simple. And one of the only things that I really remember at this point in time from that book is that, that how wrong it was to be taught that fat equals fat. Um, because I was kind of coming out of age during that, that whole no fat issues. So if you wanted to eat healthy, you go to the grocery store and buy all these non-fat items. And I really took all of that to heart. Um, uh, but, but in reading that book, I mean, it really didn't, it didn't make any sense at all. And so my, my journey kind of started there. Um, and, um, that was really one of the first times that I, I challenged such a hardcore fixed belief when it came to nutrition. Um, and since then I've really, I've relied a lot on my, my husband is into nutrition, uh, big time. And he likes to listen to the podcasts and research all these things. So he's, he, he talks about it and we talk about really what he's learned. Um, and, and then uh, he, he started the carnivore diet probably two months before I did. And I honestly thought, you know, what a, it, it was just such a terrible idea. I thought based off of everything that I have thought to be healthy, uh, you've got to eat all the colors of the rainbow, you know, you need fiber. Um, and I, I just thought it was such a terrible idea. And um, I had gone out of town and came back uh, and walked in the door and he was sitting there feeding our kids. And I know my son, who was about 18 months old at the time, was eating a steak and he had some juice running down the side of his mouth and they had left the doors open and there were flies flying around. And I just thought, okay, this is it. We're not, you know, you're not doing this carnivore diet anymore. Like this is <laughs> terrible. And uh and we probably got into a little bit of an argument that one of the phrases that he said to me was, um, if you think about it, you know, plants have these toxins. And uh, is it possible, you know, just ask yourself, is it possible that these toxins are affecting your body? And really that just, you know, it hit me right in the brain when he said that, because I know all of these things. I know that plants have toxins. Um, I, you know, and it's just something that, 
I mean, I don't think ever in a nutrition class anyone has ever said plants have toxins or any kind of nutrition book up until maybe recently. But uh, so it really a lot of this information came from my husband, but it just made a lot of sense once I stopped and thought about it. And uh, it was it was actually right at that moment that I thought, well, I can do this for 30 days. And I haven't stopped since then um, just because I've had such great results. Um, yeah, you know, and I think that's that's a good good message to share, too, because I think sometimes people look at these things and they're like, well, if I start this if I don't go through with it or if it doesn't work for me, then it was a failure. Therefore I shouldn't even start. Whereas if, if you just say like, Hey, I'm going to try this for 30 days and be honest with myself and kind of see what happens, you know, the worst case scenario is you, you learn something. So, <laughs> right. Right. You know, and, and I'm sure like, you know, I know I was one of them, but you know, I can, uh, Sean probably gets hundreds of messages about how they thought, he was crazy when he first heard them, but then they tried it. And then you know, 30 <laughs> days later, they're, you know, they're can't, can't thank them enough. So there's, there's, there's something interesting going on there too. And I think you're, I think you're right where we've been essentially taught about all the benefits of plants and how plants are going to be just this, this, this miracle food and everyone needs to have X amount of servings of it full stop. And that's just it. That's the way humans are. And, it, it's just a weird psychological thing for people. I think when they remove that message that's been there their whole life and try something completely different and then find out that it's actually working for them. Or in some cases like Michaela Peterson, where it's like, it gives her almost a second lease on life. Right. So when you st you did the 30 day challenge, more or less, what did you kind of, <laughs> what did you focus on? Were you trying to do like mostly red meat at that point? Or did you include other things like dairy or uh, fish or chicken or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I included dairy, fish, chicken, and beef. It probably, it was mostly red meat um, at the time at, for that first 30 day challenge. That was the focus of our dinners was mostly red meat, but I insisted on cooking some chicken and fish as well. And my results were, they were, they were pretty astounding to me. I didn't really know what to expect. Honestly, I didn't, I, I thought of myself really as fairly healthy, even though I had just had uh, in July. So this was August when I started it. And in July, I had had a doctor recommended colonoscopy because I was having so many gastric issues. I, you know, uh, just, there was no normal bathroom stuff at all. And and I had, and that had been going on for quite a long time. And I had attributed it to pregnancy. I had two children really close together. Uh, but a year and a half later, I still have this constant diarrhea. I'm always like gassy. Uh, it doesn't feel ever like, it didn't ever feel like every, like I was completely going to the bathroom. Um, and so, and I also had this excruciating tailbone pain that started to set in about June. Uh, and it, didn't seem to have, and there was no reason behind it. And so I had gone to a gastroenterologist and they had done some tests and stuff and they really highly, highly recommended that I get a colonoscopy that luckily turned out well. Um, but I do think that I was really heading in a bad direction. Um, uh, so that all went away, just completely. Tailbone pain went away. Um, the, the bathroom issues went away. There was absolutely no gassiness or bloating uh species is just completely normal um 
But the one thing that really caught my attention the most, all of that is pretty astounding to me, but I had this ankle uh, that I've had, that I've had surgery on. I broke um, the medial and lateral malleolus and just about every bone in my foot, uh, not the calcaneus, but, uh, and it was constantly bothering me. And I had just gone from someone who had always been very physically active to someone who could hardly walk through the grocery store without limping. And one of the problems that I had in addition to the broken ankle was I had, uh, I would get arthrofibrosis in my ankle so badly that the orthopedic surgeon thought I was probably going to have to come back to constantly have that removed, um, which is sort of just a, it just feeds itself because that creates more trauma and then the body responds with this excessive building up of scar tissue. And it really looked like I was actually going to lose that mobility in my ankle. And unfortunately for me, I, it felt like it was going to be fairly soon. Um, so I, I stand here today, I can be on my foot, my feet all day long. Um, and what I feel at the very most, what I feel is some tightening towards the end of the day. Uh, I still feel the ankle, like I'll wake up in the morning and I, I am aware of my right ankle where I don't feel my left ankle at all. But that is nothing short of miraculous to me. I, I would get shooting pains down my leg um, and it, it was always tight and, and I could barely move it sometimes. And none of that, I mean, really, that, that is shocking to me. And so whatever I was eating was causing some kind of inflammation in my body that was not allowing me to heal. And I felt like that was completely out of my control. Um, and it turns out that it wasn't. So. Yeah, Heidi, I mean, that's, that, that's pretty interesting stuff, you know, and you have the, the tailbone pain, or we call coccydemia, and then the, uh, you know, the post-traumatic issues with the ankle, with the, you know, the both side, the inside and the outside of your ankle with the medial and lateral malleolus. Um, you know, if we think about, you know, prehistoric humans probably got hurt quite a bit. I mean, it's, you know, I would imagine that we see animals in a while get hurt often, and yet they, they continue to you know, very often still move and, and do things. And I think, you know, uh, that's just possibly being on the correct diet allows you to heal better. And, you know, you don't have all this, like you said, this underlying inflammation. It's very fascinating. I think that would be something that a lot of orthopedic surgeons would, would certainly wonder about. Some of them would dismiss <laughs> it completely, but it's, I think there's some out there that might actually take some notice of that stuff. And I'm one of those. Um, let me ask you a little bit about your, just go back to your background because you know, you said you, you grew up among Native Americans and your mother, your mater, your mom was Native American. And do you have much contact with, with that culture still? Or did you spend much time there kind of seeing how, you know, because, you know, particularly in, in where you were in Utah and, and some of the other, you know, Wyoming and stuff like that, the, the Native Americans often, you know, were, were hunters and they lived on a, you know, mostly a meat-based diet. Is there any of that still lingers in that culture? Has it been completely eradicated with, uh, you know, we killed off all these buffaloes in the 1860s and 1870s and killed 30 million of them and kind of started putting everybody in reservations and feeding them flour and sugar and vegetable oils. Is there any, is there any still connection with, uh, with, with the, 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 the more ancient diet that you see? Well, there, the, now the, the reservation that I grew up on the, is the Ute Tribe Reservation, and um, they are actually, uh, that's not, 
I'm not associated with them. It's my, my grandmother who was Navajo and Potawatomi was adopted to their tribe. So that's where we grew up. Um, and they have a great deal of land and hunting is still a huge part of their culture. But uh, as far as diet goes, um, unfortunately, I think there, there has been so much damage done by like the standard American diet. Uh, I, I, diabetes is chronic, heart disease is chronic, uh, obesity is chronic. And um, it does make you wonder, uh, suicide is, is very high out there. Um, and so I, I think like they still hunt, but as far as that being uh, what, what people eat regularly, I don't think so. I think that meat is still included in the diet, but there is also all of that other stuff. Um, and it, it, and I have wondered to myself, like if it, it could just be, it could be, it could change the whole trajectory of the tribe if they wanted to consider going back to this way of eating. And um, I, I, I wouldn't even know who to talk to out there, um, but, I, it's something that I've actually thought about just because I've had such extreme results myself and I have so many friends uh, that I grew up with back there. Um, many of them actually have already passed on um, and a lot of them I know are in these huge health crises. So if it could be changed with food, uh, that's, that's huge. It's, it's huge. I, so. Yeah, we see, um, you know, particularly in any sort of society that adopts a Western diet late, late, later on, like Pacific Islanders, like Native Americans, Native Canadians, you know, Greenlanders, uh, you know, all these societies that, that were not exposed to, I mean, it seems like it's, it's even more devastating to them. You know, I spent a lot of time working with the Navajo uh, nation, you know, when I practiced in New Mexico, and I would see it just day in and day out. And it was, it was almost an oddity to see someone that didn't have end stage renal disease or somebody that wasn't a diabetic. I mean, it was so incredibly common that it was, it was, it was just part of life. And it's incredibly sad to see how decimated their culture has become, you know, physically with disease and, you know, you know, alcoholism and, and the diseases that came with Western diet. I mean, it's just, it's tragic. And I think it would be something that would be very, I mean, a very easy intervention, at least how to do it. It's just, you know, having people accept it and want to do it. So hopefully I'll have some opportunity to, to have an impact on that in the coming year or two. You know, that's one of, my, one of the things I'm looking at doing, but I find that just very sad, but at the same time, it's something that we could dramatically impact if we, if we wanted to, and there was a willing to, I know there's been some effort. Uh, Rob Wolf and, and some others have done that with one of the tribes in Oklahoma. And I think it's a, I want to say the Chickasaw Nation. I think that's who they're working with, and, and I think maybe there's some traction going there. Hopefully, that'll that'll expand to some of these other other groups. Tell me um, now. You you had mentioned that you, if I'm not mistaken, you did, you did you, you did a lot of yoga and you kind of adopted a vegetarian lifestyle for a while. What what sort of drew you to that particular uh, path? What drew me to it? Yeah. Um. Well, I had a I had an eating disorder, not an uncommon thing when I was young, uh, but I, I took it to quite the extreme. Um, I suffered from it for about 14 years. 
And um, really, when I look at it now, it was really just such an unhealthy relationship with food. It wasn't so much uh, as a body image thing. Um, And I, so it was just, it was so many conflicting stories about how to be healthy and what to do to be healthy. And I think um, trying to satiate yourself at all that that way, uh, the way that um, like eating the low fat stuff or any of that, I just think that it just, it sets people up to, I, I think that we all, or most people actually have this disordered eating, but I kind of took it to an extreme. Um, and I found my way to yoga really just for the, just to become more comfortable in my own skin. So that's kind of where that, how I found my, uh, how I found yoga. And um, one of the tenets of yoga, uh, the, it's a, it's a philosophy and the first tenet of yoga is ahimsa, which it means to do no harm. Um, I never totally took on a vegetarian diet. And one of the trainings I went to, um, I, I got into um, a discussion with a person who was leading the training because they were, they were, they were translating do no harm to mean not to eat animals. Um, and because of my background, I didn't agree necessarily with that. I, I think that, um, you know, there's, there is a circle of life. Uh, everything can't live forever. Um, ecosystems can't, they can't hold all animals. You know, there is, things will get sick and start dying. And, and she was just so unwilling to even listen to any of that. Um, and then even just thinking of my own family, I mean, my, my mom works 24 seven, uh, basically never need, leaves her place to take care of her animals. And um, she does not get compensated for this at all. Like, she truly loves them. So the idea that she is, is hurting them by raising cattle to eat, uh, I, I just didn't necessarily agree with that. Uh, but I did, I did still eat quite a bit of vegetarian food um, and a lot of fruit and, and honestly, and I wonder how many other women who came from a, a an eating disorder and who feel like they can eat a lot of vegetables. I honestly wonder how much of that comes from if you think it's healthy or if you just feel like you can eat however much you want and it's not going to, um, it, you know, that it doesn't have a lot of calories and it doesn't have a lot of fat and that kind of thing. Um, so I, I think that I took on that, that, that was easy for me to, to eat almost a vegetarian lifestyle because it felt like I could eat without, without, uh, gaining weight for lack of a better word, even though it wasn't always about body image to me. Um, it's still, I, I, it's easy to accept the vegetarian lifestyle because you feel like you can go and eat like a, you know, an entire huge bowl of salad and it's not going to affect you in that way. It's not going to affect the scale. So, um, I don't know. I, that was a hard, that was really a hard thing for me to take on. Um, the, the idea of animal cruelty and the idea of just eating fat and protein and then it's not, you know, it's not going to just sit in your gut for seven days <laughs> and all of the kind of stuff that we were taught at, in a yoga training. You know, you're taught really that the physiology of, of eating meat is so bad for you. And it didn't make sense to me. 
uh, but that is what you're taught. Now for a word from our sponsors. All right, folks, this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox offers you convenience by delivering your meat right to your door with free shipping. They also offer quality by having options such as 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, heritage breed pork, and free-range chicken. They also offer value with their goal to make clean meat accessible to as many people as possible by partnering with a collective of small farms. They are able to deliver you the best products for less than $6 per meal. They often run promos on their website for subscribers to get things like free pork or free bacon. If you enter promo code HPO at checkout, you can also knock an additional $20 off your first subscription. So head over to butcherbox.com and place your first order. Now back to the show. Yeah, I'm often amazed by just some of the stuff I hear because it, 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 it's not even anywhere close to what actually happens, what we know. And it's, it's just interesting to see that. You know, do you find that, um, let me just ask you specifically, because you say you're on a carnivore diet and all people always want to know, what does that mean to you? I mean, are you eating, uh, are you eating a wide variety of things? Do you make sure you get plenty of organ meats? Do you eat only grass fed meat? How, do, how does that work for you? What is, how do, do you include eggs? Do you include seafood? What does the diet look like for you and, 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 and what you've had success with? Well, I, I do eat a lot of grass-fed meat because that's what we have on our ranch. And so uh, we have a freezer full of that. Uh, we do, so we do eat that. I do eat seafood. Uh, I eat chicken. Um, I eat eggs. I, ha- I do eat dairy and I still have coffee. Uh, so a typical day for me would, would be, um, no, it's even, so I do eat a variety of stuff. I haven't eaten a variety of organ meat yet, but I do want to get into that. Um, and a part of it really has just become, because our, our life has been quite crazy. We are getting ready to move. We do have two young children. Uh, once we get somewhere where we're not going back and forth all the time, um, I want to look at our diet a lot more closely and, and try to eat um, like a greater variety of stuff, meaning the organ meat and um, things that I haven't, things that I've never eaten. I think I've eaten quite a bit of stuff, but I, I've never had like tongue or brain or any of that mm-hmm. stuff. And I'm, I'm interested in trying it. Um, but for me, it's, it's probably mostly uh, beef, a little bit of chicken, a little bit of seafood, eggs, cheese, and butter. Heidi, along those same lines too, uh, one thing I'm always curious about when we have someone following a carnivorous diet on the show is just like kind of how they've structured it in terms of what it looks like. Because I mean, most people think like, well, you know, I wake up, I have breakfast, then lunch, then dinner, and then maybe some snacks in there. And oftentimes when you get into the world of like keto, and then certainly in the world of of carnivore or meat-based diet, you find people tend to eat larger, less frequent meals. Um, is that something that you have found or is that how you started when you first tried it or how did you kind of structure things from the beginning and then get to where you are now in terms of kind of meal frequency and timing of all that stuff? When I first started, um, I did eggs, eggs and cheese in the morning and some bacon in the afternoon. I would make a, uh, like a eight to 10 ounce 
uh, ribeye or some burgers. And then usually the same thing again at night. Once in a while, I would make chicken uh, just because I, I felt I still I still have a hard time getting rid of that idea that I need more variety. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I was mixing some of those things in. And then I would have some when I get hungry, I would have cheese. And that's why I am still having cheese. And I, I may get rid of that at some point. Um, but it tends to be one of the things that I, I would think of as a snack. Now, um, when I was doing that, I was actually having, sometimes having a hard time getting everything down. It just felt like so much food. And what I'm currently doing um, is sometimes I will forget to eat really all day. And that never happened to me before. I was always hungry, you know, so your, your entire life sort of revolves around food. And I've noticed one of the freedoms with the, the, this diet is you actually forget about it. You will make your meal and eat it and forget about it. So I'm currently still, I do butter coffee in the morning. And I don't think that's considered carnivore or is it? Is it is just a, a version of carnivore or? Uh, I, th- I think Sean could probably give the final <laughs> verdict on this, but uh, you, I, I've look, I think it's, it's probably not, it's certainly not as strict as you can get, but the, yeah. the butter itself would probably be considered part of it, be an animal product. So that would fit within the parameters. The coffee seems to be something- some people are like, well, and then other, <laughs> I know Sean doesn't do coffee, but I know a lot of, uh, of strict carnivores will, will still, I guess, strict more or less will still have coffee in the morning. But, um, yeah. And I, you know, I think you, you highlight something interesting with that though, too, where, uh, I think one thing like carnivore diet or meat-based diet needs to kind of be careful about, especially as it's gaining some momentum and some awareness is not to be so dogmatic about it where you are judged because you have a cup of coffee with your otherwise completely animal-based diet. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. If it's not hurting you or if it's making your life, your lifespan more enjoyable, then, you know, who am I or who is anyone else to tell you, you need to cut that out as well. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of self-experimentation when it comes to nutrition. I think that like, if you really are honest with yourself and try not to, you know, think any one way is, is an ideological like game changer, then you'll find out what works well for your body. So I mean, it sounds like you're certainly well on your way to that. And, still open to trying different things and fine tuning things, which, which I think is kind of the fun part of it. Right. Like, yeah, people look at the carnivore diet sometimes like, well, that's gotta be the most restrictive diet ever. And, you know, compared to what you can see in a grocery store that you could argue has like 99% stuff that humans shouldn't be eating to begin with. Um, you know, you you can still get creative even with just, you know, the kind of more restricted approach to something like a carnivore diet. Yeah, I, honestly, that's a that's an interesting thing that you brought up. But um, because as as a mother, uh, or a, or a, just my own personality, I loved to cook, and I loved the colors, and I loved the gardening. And to think of taking all of that away at first, I mean, it was almost like like what is the point? You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was taking so much away from me. But the truth is, when you get far enough into it. Uh, the pressure of having all of that stuff be your actual food. It's really, it's a lot of freedom to not have to worry about spending so much time in the grocery store. uh, And I couldn't do it anymore, you know, buying all of these things that actually aren't food. 
Um, but you just have to put, you, you have so much energy and so much time to put into other things. Um, I, I think that um, taking the idea of, of food out of the equation of being a, or not food, but um, taking so much attention off of food just opens up your life to so many other things. Um, and you, I never realized at all that I could get to this point and actually um, not constantly be worrying about, um, you know, getting vegetables and keeping vegetables fresh in my fridge and growing vegetables and cutting them up and chopping them up. And, and to think that I was doing all of that to something that wasn't even potentially uh, giving me very many, you know, or nutrients or helping my body at all. Um, just be, and I still wanted to do it because it's so beautiful. Uh, it's almost kind of silly, but we have um, inner, like our entertaining and socializing and all of that kind of stuff surrounding food. So it, it, it leaves a bunch of space open for me that now I can fill with something different. Um, and that's kind of scary. Uh, and it's also kind of scary when I think of socializing um, with other people and, um, you know, just, I, I don't really know quite how I'm going to handle that. Like, just, just. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's maybe one of the reasons why some folks are hesitant to kind of go all in with something like that is because of that, that social aspect. It's, you know, we actually, when we had a, uh, Dr. Georgia Ede and uh, Amber O'Hearn on the show and some of our early episodes, we talked about that a little bit. And, you know, Amber O'Hearn shared a story where, you know, she'd go to a restaurant and order a steak and the waiter would come out with all the, all the food and there'd be like a, a dish with chicken and a dish with steak. And they would automatically just kind of assume she had the chicken dish and like whatever guy was like a, a guy sitting at the table, that got the steak. And it's like, you know, it's, it's weird little things like that. I think that people can kind of sometimes pick up on and, sometimes make it a little more difficult for them to want to want to really kind of explore the explore the world a little bit like that but you know that is interesting because I mean that's one thing I think that I find it find real fascinating about um, a high fat or a carnivore diet too is it does kind of make things a little more liberated in terms of you just don't really think about food and yeah you know you, you most people I think are always thinking about food or always just with an hour or two away from thinking about food uh, and you know, I would imagine for someone like yourself too, who has, who had has dealt with an eating disorder that like, there's an even bigger variance between what you used to think and what you do now in terms of like always thinking about food versus now hardly ever thinking about it until you're truly hungry. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, I can't imagine going to speak at a, like a, eating disorder clinic and, and telling them to eat the way that I eat now, but I wish that I could. Mm -hmm. I wish that I could take back those at 14, when I was 14 to 28, I mean, those were kind of lost years in a, in a way. I mean, they were just so tortured with the idea of food. And then it's been a journey ever since then. And to get to this point where you can actually just eat and be satiated and your body is utilizing the food. Oh, I mean, it's just so, it'd be so much freedom for someone in that, in that, circumstance but I don't know there's so many fixed beliefs to chop through I, I just I don't know I know how it is and it's taken me a long time to get here but I think um the more people who try it and the better results we get and the more people who are willing to speak out um may, maybe it will it's going to help a lot of people I, I don't know that was one of the reasons why I, I was willing to do this 
Heidi, I see, Heidi, I see a lot of, you know, there's obviously a lot of people that just absolutely hate the fact that I promote people eating meat. I mean, I get, I get it. I get criticized every single day. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are sort of adopting this sort of vegetarian vegan movement. And many of them, in fact, the majority of them are young girls, you know, young women, you know, teenagers, young twenties, uh, they are passionate about it. They really feel strongly about it. And, and you kind of had a similar, you know, sounds like in those, you said your lost years, 14 to 28 with eating disorders and stuff like that. What is, what's going on at that point? What are you thinking? What's driving you to make those decisions? I mean, what, what, are, the, what, are, what are these girls, these young women facing? And, and what, what would you tell them if you could go back, you know, in time to your, tell your 14 or 18 year old self or talk to some of these girls about, you know, what you know after, after having come through that and, and, and kind of came out the other side? Oh, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I really think from, from the get-go, um, these girls are sort of fighting a no-win battle with all of the messages um, from not just, not just social, like the social pressure of looking a certain way, but also the messages um, on what nutrition actually looks like, um, the moral obligation that you have to be kind to animals, um, to eat sustainably. Um, so I, there's so much pressure and so much miscommunication about what you should actually do for food that I think it automatically just sets up a huge battle inside of you because you're, you're trying to do everything right, yet according to what I believe now and have experienced now with uh, eating primarily um, animal products is that you are never going to feel well. So, so the, so the battle will always continue. You know, you're never satiated. So you're never going to feel comfortable about your food. Um, like no matter what you do, because you don't feel right. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can eat like that and you still don't feel very satiated. So you're constantly hungry. Um, and yet you're, you're trying to uh, like wager being constantly hungry against trying to look a certain way, which looking a certain way is supposed to equal not eating very many calories. You know what I mean? So it's just, I, I think it's really a no-win situation. So I wish that I could go back to that person. Um, and then, I mean, they tell you to listen to the, they, they tell you to listen to your body and yet they give you so many conflicting um, things that you're supposed to do right. I, I don't even know with given the information that I had back then, um, if I could really even change the way that I did things. Uh, so that, that is a really hard question to answer. Um, because balancing all of those pressures, I feel like they make it impossible for young girls to feel comfortable in their own skin. Um, yeah, you know, nowadays, I think, especially with all the social media pressure and stuff like that, are you, are you really supposed to take a picture of yourself eating a big steak? Everyone's going to attack you, you know, and, and you're young. You can't handle that kind of criticism. You know, I mean, most people can't. Um, no, I think you're right. Yeah. So, it's, it's difficult when it gets, gets especially that age demographic too. Yeah. 
Uh, you highlighted something that I find interesting too. It's like this idea of like being full versus being satiated. And we've talked about that a bit in the past. I think people assume those things are kind of interchangeable where, well, if my stomach feels full, that means I'm satiated or I've had enough. But, you know, most people who are honest with themselves will tell you that they're oftentimes their stomach is full, but they're still hungry. And to me, that's a mixed message to your body. Like your body's telling you something that's not right. And this is maybe an extreme example, but the way I would look at it is like, if I went and I ate like, you know, like three bags of spinach, my stomach would be awfully full, but I would certainly not be satiated because I wouldn't come anywhere near meeting my energy demands by eating three bags of spinach, despite my stomach being completely packed with, with, uh, with vegetables. Uh, but if I eat like a steak, a fatty steak, my stomach doesn't feel full but I feel satiated. And I think that's the target you should be looking for. You shouldn't feel like your stomach is going to burst, uh, but you should feel satisfied. You should feel like, you know, your, your dietary needs were met. And I think that's kind of the sweet spot that I usually tell people to look for when they're trying to figure out what food groups work well for them. Like what can you eat, feel satisfied, feel satiated, but not feel like so bloated or so full that you, you can hardly even go for a walk, much less, you know, maybe go and actually do like a workout or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. I actually never knew that you could really truly feel like this. Um, that you could not feel like that you could eat a meal and not feel over full, um, and not have issues <laughs> because of the meal. You know, I, I really thought that being bloated was just sort of part of being human. I didn't think that there was really any way around that if you were to eat a, a decent sized meal and I didn't, think that I could act that you could actually just go throughout your day and not feel hungry um and so I with those things in mind it just makes so much sense to eat this way um Mm -hmm. and it it makes no sense (laughs) to eat yeah (laughs) and it it feeds into itself too I think because I think most people are going to be on the wrong end of that setup so they're going to they're gonna just look around and they're going to say, well, everyone else has the same situation. So that just must be the reality. That must be the norm. And, you know, we've talked about this in a variety of different settings as well. It's like the norm doesn't necessarily mean that's the optimization or the, the ideal. So like, you know, I think exploring that is definitely worth, worth everyone's time given our current state. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have had one more question related to kind of how you structure your carnivore diet too. Uh, uh, the other thing I found really interesting was, you know, it's like anything where people are going to be, it's a, it's a, it can be a pretty drastic change dietarily for, for most folks, certainly ones that are jumping into it without like a, a real strict ketogenic diet. And, and even some of those folks too, if they had a very plant heavy based ketogenic diet ahead of time is uh, you know, this, this first, month or so where there's some transitions going on your body's kind of learning to to utilize a different set of uh of food groups and uh one thing that sometimes will pop up is people will notice they'll 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 get diarrhea really badly when they first start and when we had uh Jofia Clemens on the show she said more often than not in her experience that is a situation where their fat to protein ratios are off so she was advocating for a two to one ratio of fat grams to protein grams. Uh, is that something you've paid much attention to, or have you just been kind of going intuitively eating what you have, or have you been consciously trying to keep your fat up higher or your protein at certain levels or anything like that? Well, when I started out, I was just 
you know, I was, I was so begrudgingly doing it. I was just kind of eating whatever, but I did find um, after I'd been doing it for a while that I do, I do better if I have more fat. So I haven't taken it to the level where I've actually um, done any kind of ratio with it, but um, I definitely do better if I have more fat. And that's one of the reasons why I haven't gotten rid of like the, the butter um, or the dairy, you know, I, um, because at, it's, it just helps you get your fat level up. Um, so I, I think as I get farther along this journey, I'll be able to tweak that a little bit more and maybe I should actually pay a little bit more attention with it. But I, if I, um, at night, sometimes after eating a, a, a lot of steak, um, I would feel like a little bit Oh, a little bit nauseous and I would make like a, a, just a, a drink that was mostly just blended butter. Um, and it would make me feel a little bit better. Um, so it would just butter in water and just blend it up with a, like an immersion blender or something like that. And it would make me feel a little bit better. So I do know that I, that I consciously eat more fat than protein, but I haven't broke it down to a, a ratio, so to speak. Um, so I, I want to get to the point where I can answer these questions actually a lot better because I would like to talk to people and be able to tell them what it is that I'm doing. Um, so, uh, but just unfortunately with the chaos of, of um, kind of life on the road and having two very young children, uh, sometimes it's all I can do just to, <laughs> to eat, you know? So. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like anything you continue to learn and you continue to fine tune things as you go along too. And, you know, I think it's interesting just having folks like yourself on the show is because uh, regardless of how detailed you are with it, it is a pretty simple concept when you're eating meat only. So like, I think a lot of times people like to kind of just hear how you went about it and how like, you know, not everything has to be so specific that like, you know, you find yourself getting more frustrated with the process as opposed to just, just kind of eating and being done with it. And, you know, I know that's what Sean's message has always been is, you know, you'll just eat a damn steak. It's that simple. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. you know, it, 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 to some degree, I think people coming into it, they, they're creating that simplicity too. And it's like, they don't have to take out a pen and pencil and document every gram of this and track all these micronutrients and things like that. They just, you know, eat until they're full and then stop and wait until they're hungry again and then start again. And, and that's about as simple as it gets. Yeah. Heidi, do you, um, you said you have a couple, couple small kiddos. Are you, what, what do you feel? Are you guys feeding them a, a meat-based diet or how is that working for you guys with those guys? And then what has been the response if, if you've been doing so? Uh, yeah, uh, we do. They do eat quite a bit of meat. Um, we still, we don't feed them grains. Um, but they still get, they're still getting things like some nut butter, um, because prior to me doing this, you know, we had gotten some of those little organic, like fruit, fruit purees. And, um, I used to insist on getting a one with a lot of vegetables and stuff in it, which I don't do so much anymore, but they're still, they're still eating fruit. They get some vegetables, um, in some things like that. Uh, and they do some like nut crackers and nut butters and cheese and a lot of dairy, um, it, like milk and yogurt. And um, we try to keep them away from sugar and grains, like I've already said. But I would say that the 
the biggest portion of their diet is meat. Um, and uh, that just reminded me of something. Uh, my daughter, who is three now, um, when we took her to the pediatrician when she turned two, just to have a checkup, uh, I, I wanted to talk to him about night terrors because she was having so many night terrors. Um, and he said that uh, he sees night terrors in children a lot when they are iron deficient. So I kind of boosted her meat intake at that time, um, even just based on that, which I felt like she was getting plenty, but it really, it made a difference. And it makes me wonder, um, you know, how many like mental uh, things could be solved even by eating this, this way. So just something is, is upping her iron could get rid of such terrible night terrors. She was having them every night. Um, and it was just a couple of days into it that she stopped. I also started supplementing with some magnesium a little bit later, but it seemed to be uh, the red meat that, that made a difference. So, um, but I can't, uh, did, do you have a son? Does he eat mostly meat or I, my, my husband told me that you had a, a young son. Yeah, I've got four. I've got I've got four kids. I've got oh, I've got, okay. I've got a whole bunch of them. Yeah, and they all eat a bunch of meat, and they like it. Yeah, you know? and, and, yeah. But, but like you, they they eat a few other things. You know, basically, you know, they know they're going to eat a bunch of meat, and then if they're still hungry, they'll eat some fruit, or they'll eat some dairy, or they'll eat some you know a little bit of this and that. But it's it's very similar. Uh, you know, cut yeah. out the junk food, cut out the processed food, cut out the seed oils, limit the sugar. Uh, and you know, and and quite, and they're happy with that. And and I think you know the the nice thing is they're full, you know, and they're, yeah. and they're satisfied. And they're not pestering you every 45 minutes for a snack, you know, which is, yeah. takes a lot of, a lot of pressure off you as well, because you've got, <laughs> you know, not, now you're not, because if you're eating a high carb diet, not only are you trying to feed yourself every two hours and thinking about that, then you got your kids that are, that are about every hour, you know, <laughs> you're, yeah. constantly, you're constantly distributing snacks to everybody. And so it's nice to not have to do that. And, uh, uh, you know, I think hopefully, you know, more and more, parents will be willing to do that because we're, we're being told, you know, avoid healthy animal products. You know, we're told they're, they're bad for us here. Instead, eat our healthy granola bar, which is, you know, largely a bunch of junk, you know, and it's kind of. Yeah. And absolutely ridiculously expensive. <laughs> but the, <laughs> but the profit, mar the profit margins on that granola bar are huge, Sean. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Jack, can we get a granola bar sponsor for our show? <laughs> I haven't quite known how to how to to take on the whole role with my children, you know. Um, so, I I I try not to tell them. I, I just try to keep things in the house that I'm comfortable with them eating. But I don't know what that's going to eventually evolve to, you know. And they are they're going to come a time when they are largely outside of our home. So I don't want to have them. I don't want to give them any issues with food. So what I want to do is just feed them very well so they know what it feels like to truly be satiated and to feel good because they're getting the right kind of thing. And then hopefully that will uh, transfer down the line to when they're out on their own. So.
Yeah, I mean that's incredibly important because I, I fear and I and, and and I know it's true. There are, there are a lot of kids that, that never feel that. I mean, they've never, their whole life they've never known what it feels like to be well nourished. And and I'm, I'm I'm talking outside of abject poverty where there's no food at all. But I'm I'm talking about just average kids that did just eat all this processed garbage. I mean, they start on infant formula with with soybean oil and and corn syrup, and then they transition on to sugary cereals and and sugar granola bars and process garbage from day one and they never spent any time eating a natural you know diet which is which is even remotely healthy and and so i mean kids that, that get that in their diet are already going to be in the top one percent of all kids because most kids don't get that at least in this country and so it's great it's great that you that you preference that you know i i, I tell people you know because there's you know they talk about well my kids let kids be kids let them eat all this sugar and junk and cookies and candy and I, you know i tell people you know, your kids are not going to love you anymore, you know, for getting diabetes. They're not going to love you anymore for having some eating disorder, you know. So, I mean, you might as well just say, look, if you really love your kids, feed them appropriately and nourish them and, and, and don't worry about how many, you know, the fact that they're, they're not getting every gram of sugar they could possibly get by going to every, eating every cupcake that's in front of them. All right. Do you, do you have people ask you about sustainability? Uh, when it comes to this kind of diet is I'm not I'm not questioning that necessarily because I think that we spend there's so many resources and things that are spent on all that garbage that you do see in the grocery store uh, that you know if we could put the money into the right avenues such as ranching and stuff like that that it, it is actually sustainable but how do you go about answering that kind of question um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, if you talk about like worldwide st sustainability for people eating a lot of meat, you know, I think that's, you know, and then the other question is, you know, is it sustainable? Can I personally do this for a long period of time? I think for most people, they're going to eat what they enjoy. And I think it's in, in, in general, particularly, you know, even if you're 95% eating meat, it's pretty enjoyable and pretty easy to sustain. At least that's been my experience and the, yeah. the experience of people that I've, that I've, related to, but when we're talking about the environmental sustainability, we've had a lot of folks on talking about this, Sarah Place, Frank Mitlon, or P Peter Ballastet, okay. Alan Savory, and we, we've gone into these details. And the short answer is, um, it's not an easy answer. And it's going to take a shift in mindset and goals to do that. But I do think, um, you know, we are very fortunate here in, in the West, you know, in the United States and some other countries, we have a very relatively efficient food production system. So that's not the case throughout most of the world. And when we're talking about feeding the world, we got to realize that most of the world lives in inefficiency. They live with all kinds of political upheaval and, and there's all kinds of problems going on. But, but to sustain the world uh, on, on a, you know, at the level that we're doing now with, with people eating the same amount of meat that say we do in the United States would take, uh, you know, it's probably a small increase in the number of animals, but more importantly, a tremendous increase in the production efficiency and, and you know, how, learning how to breed animals correctly and how to rear them correctly and how to and feed them, nourish them, prevent them from getting diseases, uh, you know, utilizing resources correctly. It's doable. The question is, do we have the will to do that? You know, are we just going to say, let's all eat soy burgers and, you know, pretend that animals are, are destroying the planet when they're, when they're clearly most likely not. It's probably how we, how we manage them and how we fail to manage them and, and a lot of other things that go into that. So, 
it, you know, it's it's not a it's not a two minutes it's not a two minute discussion. It's it's really a long, lengthy type of thing. But I think the short answer is, if we want it to be, yes, it, it, it could be sustainable. Okay. I, I'm only asking because I just know so many small ranchers who are struggling. Uh, you know, so so greatly. Uh, you know, if people could even just support some of the small ranchers nearby, buy a freezer and and go buy a a steer from a small rancher. You know, it, it's. I think that we just we're putting everyone's putting their money into the wrong thing. So. Yeah, you know, I think it was it was really interesting for us. I think from a sh the show standpoint, when we had Alan Savory come on, and because uh, we had, you know we had. Uh, Professor Frank Mendel and Dr. Sarah Place on the show. Uh, and, and really, I think that when you look at the sustainability of it, it's less of a question of if it is, but it's more of a management question. And, and Sean, you kind of alluded to that. But uh, it really, like, I mean, Alan Savory will tell you, like, he's got his problems with our current management system, and people will try to pit him up against some of the more, uh, like, efficiency model type stuff, like uh, Professor Frank Mitloner. Uh, and say, look, these guys can't agree. We got to you know, get rid of all ruminants or something you know, absurd like that. And in the reality is like, whether you want to go, what, whichever direction you go, it includes ruminants. Like that's not really the, that's not going to solve anything if we just, you know, stop taking care of that, that the ruminant groups, uh, you know, and Alan Savory will, will tell you that the answer is probably more ruminants, but that they need to be properly managed. So like Sean said, it's uh, at the end of the day, it's the willingness to maybe put into place some of these systems rather than kind of just uh, turning a blind eye to it until it becomes too big of a problem to solve. Yeah. One thing that uh, the few people that I have talked to about this too, they've just brought up affordability, you know? So mm. uh, at, at this point, um, you know, I, I think if you, if you look at all the other things that we spend money on, all of the non-food or even, you know, all of the medical treatment later, it, it just seems to, to be so obvious, but uh, I haven't, it's, it, it's hard to answer that question to people when they actually haven't tried it and they don't see uh, the benefits, you know, mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And, and like Sean said, there's better. no, there's no easy answer as well. Cause it's like, Right. If you if you eat garbage your whole life because it's cheaper, but then end up getting sick and getting mounting a massive hospital bill at the end of your life, it's really tough to, you know, sell that to the person who's who's hungry and poor at the early age to tell, well, 40 years down the line, you're going to regret that decision. And they're thinking, well, I'm worried about today. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it, yeah. it's it's a I think it's a big holistic question. And, you know, hopefully like enough awareness will get out that you know, it'll be something that we look at as a, as a holistic issue, as opposed to just like, you know, these cows are belching and farting. We need to get rid of them, which is not even peeling back the first layer of the onion, in my opinion. So. <laughs> when we look at, you know, when we look at food costs as a percentage of, of income, you know, it has gone down tremendously over the last, you know, couple of decades, you know, 50, 60 years or so. And it's, largely probably because the food quality has diminished so much. You know, I know when we had uh, Safe Dean and, and uh, Mike, Mike uh, Goldstein on, you know, with the Bitcoin guys, they talk about how, you know, our, our food quality has just diminished and, and, and consequentially the, the percentage of our income going to food is much lower. Some people will, will kind of celebrate that and say, yeah, I mean, I can eat more food 
you know, more cheaply and I can spend all my money on iPhones and computers and video games and cars and whatever clothes and shoes and blah, blah, blah. Whereas back, you know, a hundred years ago, food was a significant part of your, part of your, your, your annual budget. You know, you, you know, it might've been 30, 40% of your annual budget. And now it's, you know, 10% or something like that. So, right. uh, but, but that has to do a lot with food quality. And so if we want to have a quality diet, we're going to have to pay a little more, you know, your point about supporting small ranchers, uh, you know, I'm completely behind, behind that. You know, I, you know, I, I in the end, I, I try to get people just to eat more meat because I think it's so much nutritious, uh, however, however you can get it and however you can afford it. And right now it, in the U S it's through these big systems where we have, you know, intensive agriculture, uh, some people like to call that term factory farming. I think that's a, a little bit uh, problematic because they don't they don't understand all the nuance that goes into different things. But you know, at the same time, one of the things I'm going to be working on this year is trying to bring some more of the, this community together, people that are understanding how important and how valuable meat is to human nutrition, and then the ranchers that produce it. And so that's that's one of my on my to do list for the year. The you know my 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 plan to save the world. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> on my list and so that that's that's hopefully i you know something i can make happen but uh you know anybody that's willing to be part of that that's wonderful and so we're looking for all the voices we can to get out there and uh, maybe you guys can help can help out in utah and you know maybe even get back on that you know on the on the reservation and, and you know turn those turn some of those people's lives around that would be wonderful you know be, be a little yeah. bit of a, you know a, a, a shining beacon of hope for these other people did you say you had done some outreach stuff with the Navajo tribe regarding this or? Not yet. No, I mean, I, 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 as a physician, I took care of a lot of them, you know, and I just, okay. you know, I just, cause I didn't know. I mean, at that time I had no idea. I mean, I just saw this as yeah. a huge problem and I didn't, you know, I wasn't educated enough on nutrition to know that this is something that we could be uh, very fixable, but that that's, you know, depending on what happens in the next year for me, that may be something that I also do. That would be awesome. Well, I can uh, give you the contacts for the new tribe. Sure. Uh, I think they would be open to hearing from someone like you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm open to talk to people like that. Well, anyway, <laughs> Zach, what else? Heidi, what do you got coming up? What's plan? I mean, you know, I know you guys got moving. I don't know. I don't know if you have a big social media present. You're not selling a book or anything. <laughs> no. like you just got no. a regular, regular person <laughs> going through life. Huh? What are you still doing yeah. yoga? Are you still going to be teaching yoga? Are you going to do meat based yoga and, and not have any? I know. <laughs> I know. I, I wonder how that's all going to go down. Um, we, now we're getting ready to move back to Utah. Um, a, a lot of it is. Uh, because my parents are, are getting older and so we need to have a much greater presence and uh, we are looking at taking over the ranch, myself and my older brother and our spouses. Uh, so uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I personally have um, going on. We, we just want to change the trajectory of it because uh, their expenses just, they're, they're so high and they don't make enough off of their animals. So we are going to try to change that and sell directly to the public um, so that they're not losing money every year and, and just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a common, common thing I've seen, you know, because, you know, if you, if you have to have to, you know, go through the traditional route, I mean, it's so hard for the ranchers to make, make ends meet. I see that over and over again. And uh, I, I, you know, as more ranchers hopefully start selling to the public and, and hopefully, some laws can be passed to make that easier because I know it's difficult with the processing facilities. What's the name of the ranch out there for people that might want to support that ranch? It's the Four Bar Ranch. Four Bar Ranch. And where is it located? 
for a bar ranch in White Rocks, Utah. White Rocks, Utah. Okay, we'll keep an eye out for that. If you guys take <laughs> over and you guys want to start selling to the public, let me know because I, I will let the public know. And so okay. and, you know, that, that, that they may want to local Utah because I mean, this is what it's about bringing these communities together. And I think I think there's enough people. I think there's enough people that appreciate the value of, of animal sourced food in, in, in the human diet that they're, they're going to get behind this sort of stuff and support folks more, particularly those that can afford to do so. Well, thank you. We will be the fourth generation here, so we don't want to be the one that loses it. <laughs> well, that's that's awesome. Zach, anything else we need to chat about, you think? I, I think that that does it. Heidi, it was really our pleasure to have you on the show. We <laughs> love having guests come on and tell about their personal stories and things like that. And, um, you know, it's uh, if we, we roll out a few doctors and professors and it you'll get the questions from the listeners. Hey, can you guys have a have a person come on and tell about their just normal lifestyle for a little bit of a break from the, the real nitty gritty science stuff, which is always fun. But um, yeah, we, it was our pleasure to have you on. So thanks for taking some time out of your day. Thank you. Thanks for okay, the opportunity. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Heidi. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.